The first lesson is taken from the book of Isaiah, um, at, from chapter 53, on page 740 in the Church Bibles. Isaiah chapter 53, page 740. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The second reading is from 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 20 to 25, page 1218. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. 
To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body, on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Thanks be to God. Sorry, this is the word of the Lord. Would you uh, open your Bibles again at um, page 740, Isaiah 53. And as we do so, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your word, which is as relevant to us in the 21st century as it was when it was first written. And I pray that you would speak to every single one of us in church this morning. You know where we're coming from, you know the thoughts of our hearts, you know our needs, you know our weaknesses. Father God, by your mighty Holy Spirit, please speak to each one of us and help us to be changed, to be more like Jesus. Amen. Well, today we come to the end of our short series on the book of Isaiah. It has 66 chapters, and you'll be aware that I think we've covered about 13, or we will have covered about 13 of them. Um, But I hope you will have found that it's a book which is wonderfully relevant to today. It's got some amazing themes. The sovereignty of God over all the nations, whether they acknowledge him or not. The holiness and yet the compassion of God the salvation provided by him for humanity, the humility of the suffering servant, the coming Messiah, who would lay down his life for us all. (coughs) And this chapter 53 is absolutely remarkable as a detailed prophecy of the events, particularly in the last week uh, of the life of Jesus on earth, though Isaiah was speaking some 700 years before they actually took place. So today, Palm Sunday, the start of Holy Week, this chapter could not be more appropriate. And if you want to follow uh, headings, I've put on the back um, of the uh, blue bulletin sheet just some headings if you want to see how we're going to go through. First of all, let's think about the man of sorrows. Look at verse 1 of chapter 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And note, first of all, the prophet's incredulity. Who has believed our message? Who could believe that what he's about to explain could be God's plan of salvation for humanity? See, the gospel starts with a man coming to the earth, Jesus, as we've read here, an ordinary man born in humble circumstances, nothing special to look at, nothing, as the NIV study Bible says, of the bearing or trappings of royalty. 
But then his public ministry began, and it quickly became evident that here was no mere man. Someone who taught with unusual authority, who could heal diseases, who claimed to forgive sins, who had power over nature, demons, and over death. And so the opposition started, culminating in the last week. And when the crowds who welcomed him into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it's remarkable to note that not a few days later, just a few days later, they were baying for his death. So although today we remember the Hosannas, we should not forget what happened a few days later. They despised and rejected him, verse 3, along with the authorities who forced a show trial with false witnesses and then had the soldiers mock him and flog him. And we need to remember that flogging in those days was so severe that prisoners often didn't survive it. Jesus knew what it was to be misunderstood, humiliated, treated unjustly, betrayed and abandoned by even his closest friends. He knew what it was to have a close friend die. John the Baptist died, and it must have brought him great sorrow. He was indeed, as it says in verse 3, familiar with suffering. Let's pause here for a moment. See, there's nothing we go through that Jesus does not understand. God did not stand remote from the earth as some religions would have him. He came into it, and as we've seen, he suffered terribly. And I think that's such a comfort when we go through tough times, when we face, as we will all do, dark moments in our lives. Jesus was despised and rejected by humans. The same happens today. How many people do you know, perhaps people you'll see in the office tomorrow, perhaps people you'll see at the school gate, who use his name simply as a swear word, who refuse to countenance the fact, or perhaps they're totally ignorant of the fact, that here is the Lord God Almighty in human flesh, before whom one day they and we will have to bow in submission. And note how the prophet from the very beginning includes himself, indeed all of us, in this. He says, we esteemed him not. He was indeed a man of sorrows. And then if we look at verses 4 to 9, we see here, by his wounds we are healed. Here we come to the death of Jesus. And note how amazingly Isaiah prefigures the events in the Gospels. Look at verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Go down to verse 9. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, it says here. John the Baptist pointed to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God. He didn't open his mouth. Jesus, we know, remained silent before the chief priests, Pilate and Herod. The oppression and judgment of of verse 8 look forward to his unfair trial and the fact that he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. It was the wealthy Joseph of Arimathea, we read in Matthew 27, who would bury the body of Jesus in his own tomb. Amazing predictions 
of what was to come true later. But what did his death mean? Before I became a committed Christian, I used to puzzle about why the cross was so central to Christianity, because I knew that terrible as crucifixion is, many people before and since Christ had suffered just as badly physically. What then was so special about his death? Well, the answer is in verses four to six. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, people looked at Jesus and thought he was being punished by God for his own sins. The second half of verse 4, we considered him stricken by God. But he was sinless. It was our transgressions and our iniquities that were being punished. We were like sheep going astray, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or as it says in verse 12, he bore the sin of many. So he died in our place as our representative and our substitute. He bore the penalty for our sins, which is death and separation from God. And on Good Friday, in a few days' time, we will remember the cross and the words of Jesus. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was not separated from God because of his own sin, for he had none. It was because he was carrying our sins, yours and mine, that he underwent the spiritual anguish and desolation of being forsaken by his heavenly father. His death, as the New Testament writer to the Hebrews explains, was once for all, never to be repeated, and it was effective for all time, both before Jesus died and afterwards. His death was not just an example of a noble way to die. It was an event unique in the history of the world. He was doing something unique that no one else could do. In our New Testament reading from Peter's first letter, we have the picture as Peter looks back on the cross. Isaiah here is looking ahead. And it's fascinating, I don't know if you picked it up, but the two passages are almost parallel. When Peter speaks of the death of Christ, he explains it like this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And there we see Peter quoting directly from Isaiah 53. What did his death achieve? It gave us peace with God and the healing of our souls. God is too holy to look on sin. Yet he cannot ignore it, and the penalty for sin is death. But God is too loving to let anyone die. So in his love for humanity, God allowed Jesus to die in our place so that anyone who admits their sin and asks the risen Christ into their life will experience the full effect of his death and be rescued from eternal punishment. So many people think of God as, you know, wanting to bash us over the head. The opposite is true. Yes, he cannot ignore sin and evil because he is utterly holy. But he's done something about it. He doesn't want any to perish. 
And it's rather like a judge with a, a criminal in the dock who is guilty. And the judge pronounces the guilty verdict. And then he has to impose the fixed penalty fine. It's fixed. The judge declares the verdict guilty. But then he comes down from the bench, opens his checkbook and writes out a cheque for the fine. The penalty has been paid and the guilty person in the dock can go free. That's a very tiny and flawed illustration of what Christ did on the cross for you and me. There is a fixed penalty for sin, which is death. And God, the judge, pronounces that we are all guilty. But then, as it were, his son comes down from the bench and pays the fine in our place. And so we can go free. These verses are indeed at the heart of the gospel. The good news that we can be set free from the burden of guilt brought on by our sins. And we can look forward to heaven where there will be no more sin or sickness, dying or pain. And when you really understand the cross, the spiritual as well as the physical anguish that Jesus went through for you, it's life transforming. As a 20-year-old student at university, I was quite happy to talk the religious talk when I was with Christians, but I made jolly sure that I steered the subject away if anyone who was not a Christian tried to say, well, where do you stand, Tricia? I was trying to sit on the fence, which, of course, is impossible. And then um, I had to read a book by a Spanish novelist uh, about a priest who loses his faith in life after death. But he doesn't tell his little flock because they're very poor, and he wants them to have this dream that heaven exists, though he no longer believes in it. And after he, he dies, his housekeeper discovers to her horror that her priest no longer believed in life after death. It's by a Spanish philosopher called Unamuno. And that book really hit me. <laughs> because I thought, do all the priests I know, are they all kidding us too? Do they not really believe in heaven? And I came back to university. I didn't tell any of my Christian friends because I didn't want them to pray for me. I'm ashamed to tell you. And I had three weeks for the very first time in my life of doubting the existence of God. I've been brought up to go to church, to go to Sunday school, but a kind of blackness descended. And uh, one night, I, uh, I just did what we all say you shouldn't do. I opened my Bible, and it opened at the book of Hebrews, which I'd never read. And in there it says, Jesus has suffered in every way as we have. And I can remember aloud saying to God, well, Jesus didn't know what this is like, feeling cut off from you, wondering if you're even there, this terrible, terrible darkness. And then you can imagine, quick as a flash, came into my head the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time, though I could have recited all the words, for the first time I understood the agony of the cross. Those three weeks for me were a kind of hell. And I thought, if Jesus went through that for me, there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. And from that moment on, I committed my life to him. I was unafraid for people to know I was a Christian. I have to say, if you told me then when I was 20 I would end up as a vicar's wife, I would not have been very happy. But then I didn't understand. I didn't. <laughs> but I didn't understand, you see, that God had a much better plan for my life than I had. And what a joy and a privilege it has been. But you see, this is the thing when you really understand the cross, it is life transforming.
Two further short points. The Lord's incredible plan. Look at verse 10. It was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. I use that word incredible literally, as we saw in verse 1. It was not something we could ever have believed or imagined. It was something God had planned before the beginning of time. It was the salvation of humanity. We saw in verse 6 how the Lord laid on Christ. We saw here in verse 10 it was the Lord's will to crush him. The Lord made Christ's life a guilt offering. All planned by God, all originated by him. And that, you know, is incredible. Before the beginning of time, God had this amazing plan out of his love for humanity. And more than that, after the suffering of his soul, in the last two verses, we see here the future that God has secured. Jesus will see the light of life, verse 11. He will rise from the dead and will justify many. He will bring many into a right relationship with God. They and we are his offspring, verse 10. And as one commentator put it, we strayed as sheep, we return as sons. As a result of this amazing act, God will reward Jesus as the king, as we see in verse 12, sharing in the spoils of a great victory. Christ's reward has this citation. If you go to Buckingham Palace, you know, there's always a citation explaining why you get an honour from the Queen. Well, this is the, the citation for Christ's reward. He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. And all this, if you look back at chapter, uh, chapter 52, all that is set out there in verses 13 to 15. Now, there's a wonderful incident in the early church. We read about it in chapter 8 of the Acts of the Apostles. The Apostle Philip is told by God to go to the road that leads from Jerusalem to Gaza. And there he finds an important official, the head of the treasury, actually, from the court of the Queen of Ethiopia. And he's reading from this very chapter, chapter 53. And Philip goes up with a key question. We're going to be having a mission in a year's time, and all of us need to maybe have this question in our mind when we meet friends who don't know Christ. Do you understand what you're reading, asks Philip. How can I, says the Philip, says the uh, official, unless someone explains it. So Peter, Philip, begins with that very passage and tells him the good news about Jesus. The official commits his life to Christ there and then and asks Philip to baptize him. And we read that the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Isaiah 53 is indeed a wonderful way to explain the gospel. Some people may say, I cannot get through to God, therefore he's not there. You may meet people like that on an everyday basis. Well, of course I don't believe God. I can't get in God. I can't get through to him. But you know, in Isaiah 59, Isaiah says this. It's not that God is not there. It's not that he's deaf and can't hear us. It's not that he's unable to reach out and save us. But our sins have made a barrier between us and him. And if you look at Isaiah 53, you will see the answer to this. Now, I'm going to do something that many of you may know, but it bears repeating. I want you to picture here, this is Jesus, this left hand. 
He has an unbroken relationship with the Father apart from that moment on the cross. Unbroken relationship. And here is you and me when we set out, and we've probably all had that experience of praying and our prayers hit the ceiling and bounce back. There is a barrier between us and God. And Isaiah 53 says this, All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. In other words, we have all sinned. And what do we read here as you and me with this barrier with God? The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On the cross, Jesus, a God, took our sin and laid it on Jesus. So the way was made open for any one of us to have that relationship with God. If we come to him, confess our sins, admit our need, and accept that what Christ did for us. It's quite remarkable. It's quite amazing. If you want that relationship with God, the way is open for you, whoever you are. You may have been sitting in this church for some time. You may be a visitor who's just come in today. But you want that relationship with God for yourself. Now today is your opportunity, just as it was for the Ethiopian official. You don't have to wait for ages. You can get someone to explain it to you and receive that relationship today. Uh, I've got four little booklets here. We'll explain this better. Come after the service if you want to and have a word with me or any of the clergy and we can explain that to you. And for those of us who have already made that commitment, let us be full of gratitude as we take the bread and wine in a moment and as we look ahead to Easter. And maybe this week we will hear God saying to us, as he said to Philip, go over that way. There's someone there who needs you to explain the good news about Jesus. Hallelujah. What a saviour.